Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hi, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. We have a cool one today, speaking with Justin Frank. Justin worked in banking and then private equity until he discovered what he was good at and what he really liked doing. So we'll get into how he did that and what his path was. Before we do, let me tell you about the Wall Street Oasis private equity and hedge fund interview courses. They're crowdsourced, constantly being updated, and unlike anything else out there. There's LBO modeling tests, networking advice, mock deals, sample hedge fund interview cases. These guides really have everything you need to land one of these incredible jobs. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Okay, let's get into the podcast. Justin, welcome. Hey, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to uh, glad to be on today. Thanks for getting up early for me. Yeah. So I think you've got a really cool story. Interesting, unique. Um, you went from investment banking to private equity to being a reporter, and now you're in headhunting. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Who is Justin Frank? What'd you do after college? Where'd you go to college? All that early stuff. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I went to NYU and uh, getting a little old here, graduated about 10 years ago. So came out in the class of 2007. And like many of my peers, you know, that year and and a few of the years prior, kind of got sucked into the investment banking vortex with the uh, run up to the bull market, obviously not having foreseen the the coming crash, but uh, Joined a middle market investment bank out of college where I worked as an analyst and, uh, you know, about, about a year into my term, you know, things started to hit the fan. And then obviously a little over a year into my term, uh, Lehman went under. So it was definitely a pretty interesting, uh, rocky time to be an investment banking analyst. But as luck would have it, I was at a group uh, and at a company that managed to weather things pretty well, I think in part being in the middle market actually helped because we didn't have any uh, any desks getting involved with mortgage-related securities and things like that. But still pretty much a whirlwind, you know, saw my junior class under me. I was a second-year analyst while this was going on, pretty much get cut completely. So it was myself and one other analyst uh, effectively supporting, you know, eight senior bankers. So downside was kind of work nonstop. Plus side was got a lot of great experience, but uh, with that great experience came a lot of exhaustion. So like a lot of my peers ended up exiting investment banking, uh, not after two years, I actually stood around for, for three years and even briefly considered becoming an associate, but 
kind of wanted to see what else was out there. Uh, joined a private equity firm in the middle market uh, after my three-year analyst stint. Pretty standard PE stuff, you know, kind of working with middle market companies that manufacture things that provide services to businesses and, and things of that nature. Great group, small team, but, you know, about a year in, and, and we can dive into some more specifics around this, you know, as we, as we talk here, but about a year in, I started to, to think maybe that, you know, the finance track wasn't necessarily for me for the long term. You know, I was, I was pretty good at it, but was just sort of finding myself sort of disenchanted with things and started to consider some alternative routes. And I'll give just the high level here. Uh, I, was done, I was doing some writing, uh, and actually I was, I was doing some writing for a time on Wall Street Oasis and did some networking, met some people, ended up uh, doing some, some formal reporting, taking some time as a, a formal business journalist. Uh, with a, a newswire publication where I was covering M&A and, and things like that. And did that for a bit of time uh, before effectively entering what I do today, which got me back towards the business side and back towards some of the worlds that uh, I've come out of, where I now operate as a headhunter and now specifically focusing on folks in the hedge fund space. So kind of a kind of a high level story for me there. Right. And yeah, on this podcast, we hear a lot about the path from investment banking to private equity. I think that's well documented. We don't hear a lot about investment banking to being a reporter or a headhunter. So I would just love to hear your thought process about how some of those jobs came to be. Yeah, sure. So, and I think what's kind of interesting is, you know, globally speaking, graduating in 2007, and I think this counts for people that graduated in 08 and, and probably 09 as well. I'm giving 2009 is probably one of the hardest years to get a job. In investment. Yeah, that, that was my year. There you go. So you, you know you know full well the difficulties when, you know, who even knew what banks were still going to be around and, and regulatory things that were happening, Dodd-Frank eventually coming to fruition and all that. But I think there are a decent amount of people that started to get a little bit disenchanted. I, I certainly don't think I'm unique in that regard. And frankly, just with some of the better jobs kind of drying up, at least for a period of time, I think people started to think about other things. Personally, I, you know, I've always enjoyed kind of writing and, and things like that. So I, I thought it'd be interesting to give it a shot as a journalist. It seemed like one of those things where, hey, if I'm going to give this kind of career path a try, why not do it now while I'm still pretty young versus, you know, maybe never being able to give it a shot at all. Uh, and even though it's, you know, something I, I kind of saw after a brief period of time wasn't necessarily going to be for me, I gained quite a bit of skills. And what I ended up kind of seeing was looking back, not just on my time doing reporting, but even in my time in investment banking and private equity, some of the things I enjoyed the most were not necessarily, you know, hammering out the finer points of a credit agreement or, you know, thinking hard about, you know, the right valuation to put uh, in, a, in a pitch deck or whatever it is I, I might have been doing. But it was really more about understanding the stories behind, behind companies and in particular working in the middle market through my career was understanding the stories of the people sort of behind the deal. So whether that was the CEOs or the owners of companies thinking about the next step for their business or the challenges that they're facing running their business. You know, when I would go to, to board meetings as an observer in private equity, 
uh, or you know, sort of viewing how my senior colleagues in private equity thought about the way that they they invested in companies and the way they thought about value creation. I just got really interested in effectively seeing how people that are what I would consider extremely high performers think about things and go about doing things. And then when I was a reporter, I think what a lot of people don't realize is, at least from the outside, you know, people think of journalism as, oh, you must be writing all the time. You're just, you're just constantly writing articles. In reality, writing turns out to be, you know, maybe 5% of what you do. And then 95% of the time, or call it 90% of the time, you're out having conversations with people, having meetings with people and trying to dig and understand to actually put together a story that's worthwhile. And I started looking back and I said, you know, I have all of these things that I enjoy about my work and these skills that I've built up, you know, what's a field that I could really put it to use. And headhunting is something that I think I, at least I know that when I was, you know, a younger investment banking analyst, I didn't always have the greatest view of headhunters. And I think a lot of people that go on Wall Street Oasis and that work in finance in general probably have similar perspective but it's something that when you really are interested in effectively connecting people and when you're actually quite conscientious and have a, a good you know, level of effort and ability to do your due diligence, and if you're really good at it, you can really make a difference in the lives of both people and companies and then sort of surround yourself with interesting people. So kind of ended up finding this field that I think sometimes people don't necessarily appreciate because of you know bad experiences with the ones I've had, but a field that, um, you know, I'm honestly really into and really interested in and uh, I'm able to build a career in. So, so that's sort of my, my story broadly there. Yeah. And I like that story. It sounds like you had an interest in some of the, you know, the more human elements of finance and you were able to follow that through reporting and, and, and now headhunting. Yeah. And the other thing I'd add too is, and I think this speaks to why reporting is something I didn't, I didn't stick with, and I, and I won't belabor the point too long, but it's interesting, but it's not business. And I think something that, you know, even if I do enjoy sort of the human side of things and seeing the value that, you know, putting people in the right seats can have, to me, I'm still very much business oriented. And I do like the idea of, of you know, building some kind of business, whatever that, that might be. And when you're at hen hunting, I mean, you're, you're very much serving your clients or serving your customers, whoever they might be. And just, you know, sort of the product and the service you deliver is, you know, it's not, it's not a widget. It's not, you know, uh, maintenance services. It's finding people, which, you know, I would argue is actually probably the most important thing that an organization should focus on. And I get to help folks do that while also, you know, building a business and being commercially minded, which is, which is something I quite like. Right. That is cool. And, you know, when you hear these big time executives, Elon Musk types talk, they always talk about dealing with people and hiring the right people as the hardest parts of their job. So that's your responsibility to help make that a little easier, facilitate that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I mean, I've been in and around enough companies at this point to just see how incredibly important it is to have the right people in the right seats. And it is, I mean, it makes sense. Elon Musk and, and folks really, and, and pretty much anybody leading a business anywhere, if you make a bad hiring decision, it's such a complete disaster. 
But if you make a great hiring decision, it can have an impact sort of above and beyond any other decision you can make in a business. And then, you know, it lets the right people sort of sit back and focus on different things because they know they can trust the people under them. Um, I, I think broadly speaking, I, I don't know if you'd be interested in covering this, but would love to also talk a bit about, you know, obviously I have a pretty non-traditional path, but I, I've also been lucky enough to see and be pretty close with some people that have taken some pretty different paths. I know mine's pretty specific, but I think there are a lot of ways to think about a career from kind of investment banking and PE, whatever it might be, that that folks don't necessarily think about. Uh, and I'm happy to dive into a, a couple examples if you think that could be interesting. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's hear it. Sure. So, and again, I, this is, I say all of this, and I'll preface it all with, like, there are plenty of people that just get into the deal business and sort of know that they're getting into the deal business and they're super fired up about it. But I think a lot of people sort of realize that, you know, the deal business, very interesting, get some great skills, but you have to, I, I would say, you have to really love investing and you need to really love making deals to really thrive and really kind of rise up the ranks because what I found and what I think some peers of mine found is, you know, you might make it to associate, you might even make it to vice president, just kind of doing the nuts and bolts of things. But getting beyond that requires just sort of an understanding of investing and of deal making that if you don't, I think, really have a passion for it, as cliche as it sounds, I just don't think it works. So one thing I've seen is, you know, you go into private equity and there's a lot of opportunities to work with portfolio companies and to build up skill sets that you might not get just working on deals. And oftentimes, you know, you're not going in and running a company per se, but you might get pretty close with a CFO or a CEO and, and help with add-ons and helps with, help with things of that nature. Uh, and one of my favorite stories that people might know of, and, and this was certainly not a peer of mine, but uh, there was an associate at a private equity fund, I think based in New York, and he was, this is, I'm sure this is a little bit legend mixed with a little bit of truth, but he was effectively, uh, I would say, obsessed with a restaurant called The Pump. And The Pump is, or was, is, is since changed, but it's effectively sort of um, protein-induced health food on steroids. So, you know, if you're really into fitness and you want to eat super healthy, you know, you go into the pump, you get steamed broccoli, you get grilled chicken, and maybe you get a side salad with, you know, perhaps no dressing at all on it. And uh, this guy was so into it that he ended up somehow getting his firm to invest in this business. So he effectively sourced the deal. And then through working with the company, ended up moving over into the company, becoming an operator within the business, which I think is, you know, something that gets tossed around as an idea by a lot of people that are interested in PE, but this guy actually went and lived it out and lived it out to such a degree that he ended up becoming CEO of the business. And as I understand it, it's it since rebranded to a company called Dig In. Uh, and if anybody living and working in Manhattan, particularly in Midtown Manhattan knows, uh, Dig In is a pretty great lunch spot and it's definitely a, a, a fast growing business. So that's one of the more, I'd say, unique exit opportunities uh, that I've seen uh, in my time kind of working in the field. Right. And I mean, that's just the theory that passion is payoff. This guy clearly had a passion for the restaurant 
and was able to, through his, his background, I mean, he worked hard to get to where he was. Obviously, it's difficult to get into private equity, but he was in the right place, and then he was able to apply his passion and his skill set to make something really cool happen for himself. Yeah, and I think part of it, it's funny because I think, um, for lack of a better way to put it, the idea of following a passion has been pretty shit on in recent years. You know, with guys like Mark Cuban, who I think makes a lot of sense when he says sort of follow your effort, not your passion. But I do think there's something to be said for, you know, maybe it's not your passion. Like, I'm pretty passionate about playing basketball. But obviously, if I just focused on that full time, I'm not going to play in the NBA. But if you find something that you have a good interest in and you find that your effort really goes to it, and you can sort of figure out, okay, how do those two things cross with something that can actually you know, be economically viable? And you've got the work ethic that I think gets built up from working in finance and working in you know, investment banking, just being sort of this, yeah, a lot of it feels like grunt work, but what I've come to see over time is the level of ability to do grunt work is not universal. And the ability to do it at scale and then to do things even beyond that, which I think most people get from, you know, doing a couple of years, two, two or three years in investment banking, it's actually kind of a great foundation to use to feel like you're almost capable of, of not, not of doing anything, but at the very least of being very effective in business, uh, at least the nuts and bolts of it. And I, I talk about sort of being interested in things or, or passionate about things from the angle of finding something you can really focus on. And just kind of another quick example here, somebody I actually know who's a, who's a peer of mine, uh, who's around my, around my age, around my class. He, you know, did investment banking. He did middle market private equity. He got disenchanted a bit, I think with the deal business, at least for a time, I don't want to say disenchanted, but started to explore different options actually went and uh, joined an oil field services business that was private equity backed uh, in their, I guess, in their sort of burgeoning finance department. It was sort of a kind of an upstart sort of business. He had always been interested in sort of the broader oil market. He had a really strong background uh, investing in and, and working with companies in sort of the industrials and industrial services space. And he was able to get into this opportunity where he joined this young upstart oil field services company, kind of taking a little bit of a risk, but he had been pretty prudent, I think, in his in his personal life. So he was, you know, he felt comfortable doing that. Well, kind of long story short, he joins this business in the finance department, ends up leading a couple M&A deals, a couple financing deals. And, you know, before you know it, in, granted, during going through kind of a rough and double period for oil, but he had this great skill set that allowed him to excel and he ended up getting put into a position to lead a division of this oil company or this oil field services company. And, you know, this is a guy that's, you know, younger than 35, pretty, pretty tough to get into that kind of position. I think without having sort of the boot camp background of investment banking and the understanding of business you can get from private equity and then an ability to, to really focus and dive deep on, on something like that. Right. So these <clears throat> exit opportunities for people that have done investment banking, done private equity are very plentiful. And usually these people are really smart. They're hardworking. There's a lot to be said for it. Are there, do you see any downside to having this banking PE background? So I don't really see a downside really at all. I think one thing that people struggle with, and I know I definitely struggled with 
for a bit. I don't want to speak for everyone that ever goes into investment banking by any means, but I think the challenge can be finding a focus. I think if you're somebody who's really interested in almost having, not to, not to use this as a pejorative, but almost if you have sort of an ADD of sorts and you just kind of like jumping from thing to thing and having a lot of different things to focus on. I actually feel like investment banking, private equity is, is a really great career, even though some of the nuts and bolts of what you do day to day remains relatively similar. You're going to intellectually, I think, get to dive into many different things and keep yourself stimulated from with that. I think when you do go and you focus on something more specific, you do lose that, though I, I've definitely become a big proponent on focusing on something, whether it's an industry or a specific sort of functional expertise, whatever it might be, I think that does allow you to grow quite a bit. To more specifically answer your question, because I just kind of went on a bit of a tangent, I, I don't really see a downside, but I do think you know it, it's always helpful for people to honestly know what they're getting into. Uh, and I do think it's been interesting, at least from something of an outsider in the last few years, you know, not a total outsider, but to see how people coming out of college now are thinking about career quite a bit differently. And at the end of the day, as much as investment banks talk about, hey, we're going to give people, you know, Saturdays off and we're going to work on work-life balance. You know, I, I think it's one of those things where not having the work-life balance actually can pay some dividends. Uh, and even if you eventually seek more of a work-life balance after doing it, I think going through that that boot camp, if you've got the work ethic and you know sort of the intellectual smarts, if you will, to to handle it, is is good for just about anyone uh, who's looking to pursue a career in business. Yeah, <clears throat> that makes sense, Justin. So let's get into the part where we go inside the principal's office. You look at hiring people. You look at tons of resumes. You know, let's talk about what is it that sets people apart for some of these roles that you're trying to fill? Yeah, sure. I think, I think it really depends on a couple things. So it depends on sort of the level of position you're looking to fill. And, you know, it could be quite a bit different if, hey, you know, there's some, and I'm just going to speak kind of globally here, but, you know, if there's some private equity fund that just needs new associates because, you know, their old associates are off to B school, whatever it might be, you know, at that point, do you have deal experience? Are you at a decent shop? Have you focused on an industry that matches what they're doing? I think it's a little bit more, it's not cookie cutter by any means, but it, it's a little bit more paint by numbers for sort of lower down the rank. But I think as you start to kind of move up the food chain, it gets a little bit more, I think, interesting and then sort of challenging as well to find the right fit. Because if you just think about it, if you're placing somebody to be, you know, a junior associate, Versus you're placing somebody to be, you know, a vice president or a portfolio manager or whatever it might be at a specific kind of hedge fund, it's going to be a pretty radically different level of experience, but also a track record that you have to to compare across. And I'll just sort of tie that back to, you know, something I was saying earlier about finding focus. I think one of the reasons why it's good to have some kind of focus in your career at all is because it also it's sort of self-evident, but lets you build up a track record that you can then use as sort of a, a measuring stick or a yardstick, if you will, 
when you're looking to for your career or move on to a new opportunity, whatever that might be. So just for instance, if we look at, you know, I, I remember when I was an analyst when I was in PE and, you know, talking to peers, a lot of people get interested in, hey, I want to go into private equity. Hey, I want to go into the hedge fund. Hey, I want to be a value investor. It's how can you show me that you actually want to do that beyond just having some kind of nuts and bolts skills on your resume? Like, okay, you can do a DCF. Okay, you can build a financial model. Okay, you've, you know, read through credit docs or whatever it might be. How can it actually come through beyond a resume of, which will be amongst, you know, so many other resumes to prove that you've actually got not only what it takes, but sort of the interest level to really, to really dive deep and to really uh, own that career and be successful in it. Right. The part about showing that you actually have passion, actually have interest in working in the job you're trying to get beyond the resume bullets. Well, and it's just like, I mean, not to sound flippant, but you know, you'll, talk to people kind of broadly who are like, yeah, you know, I'd love to, I mean, this is certainly not just in finance, but I'll, I'll use kind of a fine example here. You know, I'd love to be at a hedge fund. Like, I think that'd be cool because, you know, people think of hedge funds and it's not just necessarily money, but I mean, there are some glamorous aspects to it. I mean, if you were, you know, Dan Loeb and your third point and you're going to go to war with Sony and trying to get people put on the board of, you know, giant mega conglomerate that we all, all know, that's pretty exciting stuff. But at the end of the day, you don't get to the point where you're trying to make changes to a board or you're, or you're trying to do something to affect change in a business or trying to call for a breakup without doing, you know, hours and days and weeks and, and often months of homework and due diligence just to even figure out if your idea really makes sense and if you should really put on the position that you need to, to be in a position to, you know, affect change in a company. And I think, you know, there are a lot of folks and not a lot. I mean, there are, there are some folks that say, you know, I had love to be in, in that world who I've never opened up and read a 10 K and it sort of becomes, you know, Hey, how do you, do you really want to be in this world? Are you actually spending the time to dig into companies, to study companies, to have a view on companies or to have a view on markets or are you just sort of sitting back and, and kind of daydreaming about it? And something I actually quite enjoy about my work is, you know, one, I get to stay a little bit close to the markets, but two, I personally find it fascinating to speak with and hear the thought processes of people that are embedded in markets and that are digging deep into companies day by day and to hear their thought process. Because at the end of the day, I know full well you know, my brain doesn't necessarily operate in that way. And I'm not necessarily as interested in digging as deep, but I do like being involved with folks that do that and who have a real passion for that and then helping them, you know, get to places where they can put that to, to full work is, is pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always interesting speaking with smart people, just like what I'm doing now with you. I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of pleasure from, from this. Yeah. And the other piece too, I mean, this is more of a global comment, not so much on what I do, but I'm sure you've found this in your you know, years since you, you graduated college. I mean, it's sort of like the Pareto principle, which I think people are familiar with, you know, 20% of X brings 80% of results and it could be, you know, 20% of your customers bring 80% of your revenue, 20% of your effort brings 80% of your results in, in the gym or whatever it might be. Uh, 
you even see within companies, it's like, you know, 20% of the people are driving, you know, give or take 80% of the results. And you start to realize like, man, if you are just willing to put in more time, more effort, more energy, and just be diligent about the work you're doing, you're just going to be ahead of the vast majority of the competition just by showing up and doing that. Because it's, I mean, frankly, kind of a disappointing thing to say, but it does seem like so many people just, you know, they get disenchanted with their work. They just don't care. They kind of half-ass it. And I think so much can be made up for with sheer effort. And I think, you know, again, unless you are in something highly, highly technical, you know, if you're a scientist or you're a medical doctor or, you know, you're some kind of engineer, okay, yeah, you've got sort of the moat of, you know, degree, a specific kind of degree and a specific education level specific technical expertise, but most people, whether they're working as, you know, investment banking analyst, or they're working as a marketer in some, in some company, or they're working as a salesperson in a, in a software business or, you know, B2B salesperson, whatever it might be. It's just about, Hey, are you going to put a little extra effort and you're going to put a little extra diligence into your work? Uh, and if you do that, spend a little extra time doing your homework, you can just be kind of leaps and bounds beyond people just doing what, frankly, everybody should be doing anyway. Yeah, Justin, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's great advice. There's a lot to be said for just head down, hard work, doing your job well, networking, meeting other people uh, that can you can grow with throughout your career. This podcast has been filled with all sorts of great advice from you. I'll let you leave our listeners with any last thoughts, uh, recommendations on how to figure out what you're good at, how to find this passion you're talking about, how to get into investment banking, what sets people apart. Any last uh, little tidbits of knowledge from you would be awesome. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, again, not as a, certainly not to sound like a sage, but I, I do think I've seen, I've, I've been lucky to see through my own experience and then through interacting with so many people who are either sort of in the market for a new role or having worked in investment banking, private equity, working with management teams, working with senior partners, you start to see a few common things among people that help them sort of take their career to just a really high level, which I think anybody, you know, on WSO or listening to this is probably thinking about that in general. And, you know, I think one part that I sort of touched on earlier is figure out what you're good at and figure out what you like. And I think usually those two things do sort of collide in, in, in large part, at least as you're thinking about a career. And I do think it takes a pretty strong level of honesty to, to, to really do it and to really excel. I think one thing that's helpful is sort of the sooner you can figure out what you're good at and focus on that, the better, because then you can spend the time putting in sort of the hard work, the effort to actually you know, build a track record doing something specific. Uh, I've obviously harped on a bit about sort of non-traditional paths here, just given my own path, uh, given the paths of some others out of, you know, finance. I also, with all that, want to say, hey, you know, working in finance is actually pretty terrific. And some of the most successful people that I haven't touched on here are people that pretty earlier in their, early in their careers realized well, shit, like I'm actually pretty good at this. I actually like working in this part of the bank, whether that was on a trading desk or in credit risk management, whatever it was. 
and they just said, I'm good at this. I like my work. I like my colleagues. They've kind of pressed onward with it, pushed pretty hard and are now, you know, some of them have been in their roles for eight, nine, 10 plus years. And they're getting ready to think, Hey, I could be, you know, managing director in the next, you know, three to five years, give or take. So I, I think it's really, and, I, and this is certainly not groundbreaking advice, but figure out what you're good at, be honest with yourself about what you're good at, and then just kind of go after it hard. And, it, and maybe the last piece is, you know, don't necessarily think about what's glamorized or what other people think you should do. If you found something that's economically viable that you're good at, just go after it hard, whether it's, you know, kind of you know being the guy climbing the ranks of a bank, being the person that's pursuing an MBA to go try and be a partner at KKR, or if it's, you know, somebody trying to do something in a corporation, something non-traditional, whatever, whatever it might be. I, I think broadly it can be missed in the field, but I mean, there's there's straight up a billion ways to make money and to build a career. And if you're able to uh, find something you're good at and, and pursue it, just just go after it hard. And uh, that's really it. And I'll, I'll step off my soapbox now. <laughs> well, that was great advice, Justin. And I completely agree with it. It's tough sometimes not to get sucked up in the prestige and the route that everybody else is taking into interesting private equity shops. But it's not right for everybody. It is right for some. Uh, but you got to put in the work yourself. And sometimes it's hard. you got to be honest. Um, but it's really important. The other, this is kind of a random side note that I would, I would add in. Like, I think it's also easy to get sucked into sort of pop media, if you will. And I think people, I mean, I, I'm sort of a proponent of not consuming too much media because I think, I mean, I, I'm certainly guilty of it sometimes, but I do think it's easy to, and I think this is something that can come from, or at least I've seen it myself and in others from the investment banking world is you can kind of have a grass is greener mentality. And it's certainly easy to potentially develop that when you're working, you know, 80 plus hour weeks, uh, grinding through pitch books and, you know, offering memorandums and whatnot. Uh, but I, I do think trying to avoid the grass is greener mentality and to instead focus on stuff you actually are, are good at and actually really enjoy goes a long way. And I think Sometimes avoiding an overconsumption of media can, can sort of help with that. But, but again, stepping off my, my soapbox here, hopefully uh, this is helpful to folks that listen. Yeah, so let's leave the podcast with this. The grass is brown everywhere. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Justin, this was really good. Thanks so much for doing this with us. Sounds good, man. Good to talk to you and uh, happy to take the time. All right, thanks. I'm Alex Grodnick. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes. And also, a great review. Lots of stars. We'd really like that. Thanks. <laughs>